You're listening to Answering Difficult Questions Biblically, a Sunday school series taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. How do we respond to people who claim to be followers of Christ but do not live out their faith? Well, I want to get this one really quick because I think it's very practical, okay? Because you think about it, you're going to be living within this, this church family, this context. You also will run into believers who go to other churches. And, and even within your own family, people who call themselves Christians will hold to different standards and different ideas of what the Bible teaches and, and what we're supposed to do. And so how do we, as believers in Christ, live out our faith even when we see people around us who seem to not care? who seem to not be living out their faith, who seem to have very different ideas of what's godly and holy and right, righteous living. Well, I think there's a few things. And the first one is, um, it is true that there will always be false converts. There will always be goats among the sheep and tares among the wheat. Okay, that's, that's clear in Scripture. So we should not be surprised, okay? If, if Jesus, if, if we all died, this entire church, and somehow we were transported to heaven and we were all in the same place, we should be absolutely shocked if everybody in this room is there. Do you know why? Because the expectation is that there will be some false converts among the sheep. That there are some people, and maybe in this room now, certainly within the church, when we gather together at 1030, that are not born again. They might claim Christ, but they haven't actually repented of their sin and put their faith in him and trusted him. They might have a head knowledge, but they're not born again, all right? And so that's important to understand, that, that not everybody that claims Christ is, and that is abundantly clear when you start looking at any statistics on the number of Christians in America, because the number is somewhere around 80 something percent of people in America call themselves Christians. And certainly the way that the, Country works does not reflect that. Yeah? Is that Yeah, sure. Admirers, yeah. I mean, they, they, might, they might have this idea that Christianity is good. Um, they like Jesus in general, but they haven't accepted that they're sinners in need of a Savior and trusted him. Yeah. So, um, that's the first thing. You might, you might wonder, well, I thought that, that, yes, I know that we're not supposed to judge in some sense, but the Bible does tell us to judge the fruit of people. And I think that's true, but I think it's important to understand that whenever the Bible's talking about that kind of judgment, it's not in the sense that, like, you are now put in a position as the judge where you are going to hand out some kind of sentence where you get to make a final decision on that person. The, the idea of judging by fruit is more with the ability, with the, with the desire to protect oneself or one's loved ones from what could be evil. So if I'm going to judge something and decide, you know what, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to spend a lot of time with this person. It's not because I, get to, I, I think that somehow I get to make a judgment call on their salvation. It's because... I think that it's just, personally, it's not good for my soul. Or it's not good for my family. 
or it's not good for the church family. Because in some, in some cases, we have to judge as pastors and protect the flock from what we think are wolves. It doesn't mean that we get to actually decide in the end who's a wolf, but we do have to judge by fruit and by teaching, all right? But it's, it's the desire to protect. And we find that in 1 Timothy 1.18, um, Paul writing to his son of the face, Timothy, who's pastoring a church, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, you're, you're in charge of this, you're protecting your sheep, and I'm, I'm telling you that there are some people that you actually will have to judge, that you will have to put outside the church. Um, and that's what Paul does. And later on in the same book, he says that he did it with the goal that they would actually come back, that they would come back to truth, that they would be reconciled. Um, and that's always the goal. Now, there are also occasions where you're not just judging a person's doctrine that it's wrong. And, and, and we also recognize, um, hopefully, even through this series, we've seen this, that there are some areas of doctrine that are essential, that are absolutely necessary. There are some areas, like Thursday or Friday, that are not essential. All right? We can disagree and still love each other and still believe that you know, we're all on the same team. Um, when it comes to essential matters of doctrine, I think that the church has to be very strict in what we allow, okay? Because if we're not, if we take this like universalism, everybody's accepted, everybody's tolerated, every belief is equal type of approach, then we end up with a very watered-down version of Christianity, and we, we are in danger of losing the gospel. I think often churches have lost the gospel with the goal of unity, all right? And so unity can't be the highest goal. The highest goal has to be truth, and we want unity in the truth. If we lose truth then unity is useless, right? And so there is a sense that sometimes we judge doctrine, and there is a sense that sometimes we have to judge clear violations of God's law, okay? So uh, 1 Corinthians 5 is a great example of this. Uh, It is reported that there is sexual immorality among you, such sexual immorality as not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife, okay? So this this is like, hey, Corinthian church, what is going on? How are you allowing this to take place in your church? And not only is it taking place, it says that they're puffed up or they're proud and they have not rather mourned. In other words, it's almost like they're boasting the fact that they're allowing this to take place. Like there's so much grace in this church that we can have people sleep with their mother-in-laws and it's cool. That's not cool. (laughs) That's not good at all. So Paul has a problem with that. He says in verse 5, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So put that person outside the, the protection of the church. Deliver him to Satan is the way that it's phrased. So that he can suffer the consequences that he should suffer for the sin that he's committing. With the goal, again, ultimately, that he will be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And the goal is always reconciliation. Okay, But sometimes that judgment's necessary. That happens, again, within the context of Believers gathering together, the church, it's never like a, I'm, I'm, I get to play God. It's always like we're protecting this place and we're trying to, to protect the holiness of the church, the reputation of the church. So then in Romans 14, I think we get the best picture of how we're supposed to live this out. And we'll go through as much as we can. 
um, for, of Romans chapter 14. Uh, Romans 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, and he who is weak eats only vegetables. It's funny. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So, so the weaker brother in this case is actually the one who has a higher standard, at least in their mind. The weaker brother is the one who says, listen, I'm not going to eat that meat. It, 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 maybe it was offered to idols. Maybe I, I've deemed it unclean. Maybe it's, it's something, but I'm not going to eat that meat. And the advice here is given to the one who is stronger in their conscience to say, don't judge them. Don't judge another person's servant. Who are you to judge? Uh, to his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. In other words, he will stand before God. And I think that, that ultimately, the greatest takeaway that we can have when we talk about how do we deal with other people who call themselves Christians and don't seem to live out their faith is, is recognizing above all else, they stand before God. And sometimes it feels like people are getting away with things. In fact, in the Psalms, it happened. Jeremiah, it happened. Um, the, a number of the prophets complained, God, how long are they going to be able to live like this? It doesn't make sense that the, the wicked are prospering. And the answer is always, they're going to stand before God. Hey, judgment is coming. And so we never have to worry whether or not God has just like forgotten. He will judge. But he will judge righteously. And the truth is that we all must accept none of us can judge completely righteously. None of us have it all sorted out. Okay, Some of us hold convictions that we ought not hold, that we don't need to hold. And some of us don't have convictions that we should have. And so much better for us then to say, I will stand before God. What should my convictions be? What do you want me to do, God? Where are the areas of my life that I should be more careful? And do that recognizing the culture that you live in. I think it's really important that while we are examining our own hearts and our own minds, that we're not just doing that on a how-does-this-feel basis. Because if we do that, then our culture impacts our feelings. It impacts the way we're, we're just naturally bent. And so we might assume something is right because everybody tells us it's right all the time. Let's be very careful to try to go to God's word and find our convictions and our standards and, and our principles that we're going to live by there first. All right, that's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's a good one. Okay, verse five. One person esteems a day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Do you understand that, that your conscience is really important in the Bible? Okay? Obeying what here, what, what your heart tells you to do, is actually an important thing. Now, um, when you're born again, your heart should be begin to being influenced by the Spirit of God that is in you. And as you read the Word of God, and as you hear the Word of God preached, and as you, as you spend time with God, He changes, He, he uh, molds, He 
uh, alters your conscience so that it's more and more in line with Scripture, with, with truth, with God. Okay? But here's the problem. If you take, and this is what I've seen happen often, if you take a brand new Christian and then you say, okay, listen, you're a Christian now. Here's a list of a hundred standards that you must have to be a Christian. And that person then begins to wear all the right clothes and say all the right things and all, you know, everything, everything is right. But they've done it not because the Spirit of God taught them to do it. They did it because you told them they had to, to be a Christian. Then what have they learned about what it means to live out the Christian life? Nothing. I think they actually learned something negative. They've learned that you live out the Christian life by following what a man says to do or a woman says to do. That's not it. You live out the Christian life by following what, what the Bible teaches you to do. Okay? Now, you, you should have people in your life who are helping you make those standards and those judgments. And, and, and another point with all of that is I think that there are some standards that I ought to have and some convictions that I need to have because of my sin bent that you don't need. And so I might say, listen, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to be a part of this and I'm not going to go here just because I'm tempted to sin when I go there when for someone else it would be absolutely fine for them to do that. Right? So here he says, make sure that you are obeying your own conscience and then certainly would add to that, make sure you're allowing your conscience to be formed by God's word and by his spirit. He says, he who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. Isn't that amazing that, that in this situation, two people can choose to do two different things, and both of them glorify God? Both of them thank God, and God is pleased? For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, and if we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Okay, so I, mean, I think that that's, that's very clear. Uh, we, are, we have two minutes left, and so the, the only final point we find in verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So, this is how we live then, is rather than trying to figure out who's got it right, and who's got it wrong, and who's living right, and who's got the wrong standards, if we would focus on ourselves, on our own standards, and then take that next step where we're actually actively trying to not cause another brother or sister to fall. That's where the Lord wants us to get. So our, our tendency might be to judge another person. And what God is saying is, no, I don't want you to judge someone else. Judge yourself. They will stand before me. Don't worry about that. Instead, look out, see where people are at, and then try not to do something that would make them stumble. Okay, so if their conscience tells them that something is wrong, then don't put them in a situation where they're going to do that thing. Don't force that on them. 
Okay? Now, it, it, it says earlier on, also, don't make that person some kind of teacher and don't allow them to force that standard on everyone else. But I think that's really helpful for us. That rather than thinking about what they shouldn't be doing, start thinking about what you can be doing to help them in their faith. And the goal of that is to allow all of us to grow up into maturity. And as they grow, maybe they learn. And maybe some of their standards change. And maybe, maybe if they've got something that's not in line with Scripture, the Spirit of God takes care of it. All right? I mean, that's, that's His job, right? Not ours. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.